Let me tell you something. The, the way that Jennifer, um, the depraved way in which that would go down is not something you'd want to read. All I'll say is we haven't seen Jones's dog in a long time. Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch podcast. Just a reminder, this is a rewatch podcast, which means we've seen the entire show from the beginning to the end and back again. And that's exactly how we spoil. So please, 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 if you have not finished all the way through season four, press stop now. We don't want to spoil you. It is worth the journey. Come back when you're finished. We'll be happy to have you here. This is Beep, and I am joined, as always, by the lovely Cece, and we have a special episode for you today. It is our conversation with Terry Metalis and Sean Tretta about episode 309, Thief. Some of the audio does leave a lot to be desired. Unfortunately, we had to utilize call-ins, and so we do apologize for the quality, but the content does more than make up for it, I think. So, enjoy! Terry and Sean, thank you so much for joining us yet again. You guys are always so awesome with your time, and we appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, we're so excited you guys came back to talk about this episode. We're just going to, uh, I don't mean to embarrass you guys, we're just going to gush because it's <laughs> one of our most favorite episodes of TV ever. Like, it's a mini movie that I would sign up and go watch like five seasons of this on the BBC. So um, you guys both, um, or at least Sean, you um, recently rewatched it. Do you guys have sort of any big picture thoughts? Uh, Yeah, I watched it yesterday. And I would say this is a damn good show. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I know. After when you when you work on something else, like away from it for a while, you're like, oh my god, we used to do this. <laughs> I, I I hadn't seen it in about three years, and I and I put it on, and it was just like looks great. Like it's yeah, I was just like, damn, <laughs> we did a good job. Um, yeah, that was my that was my overall impression. I was pretty pleased. Uh, yeah, I mean that's how we feel when we go back and and rewatch it. Why can't more TV be like this? Um, you and Sean, I remember the last time that you came on the pod, you uh, you scouted these locations in Prague, right? And am I remembering that correctly? Produced this this episode? Yeah, we. Um, well, you Terry, you were there for shooting too uh, for this, mm-hmm. but yeah, we they he sent me off to uh, to Prague and um, it was actually writing, I think, the first draft as we were scouting, which uh, was, you know, I was do we were, we were driving around during the day looking at these locations, and then I would report back to Terry, like, you know, we found these cool places, and, and I remember Ethan's apartment um, was this place, and it was really far away, it was out of the zone from where we were, you know, where we kind of wanted to stay, and we were losing a little time going to it. And I remember production didn't want to show it to Terry because they're like, it's too far away. And I, I showed it to him on the DL, like, this is where we should shoot. Like, why did we come, you know, the other side of the world um, to not shoot places like this? Um, so, so yeah, it was that and a lot of jet lag and, and you know, 
conferring with Terry on stuff back in Toronto. It was, uh, it was intense. It was the beginning of an exhaustion that I think I still have not recovered from because at that time, the, the, the thing to think about is, so you guys are like, wow, you guys had to be so far ahead that you can drop little things in like, you know, um, Jennifer saying, you know, pulling off the witness mask and masks and saying time to go. And then Ethan pulling off his mask and tight and saying time to go. You're like, oh, well, that's whatever. Those are cool payoffs. The bottom line is we had to shoot the finale 310. Like, so while Sean was scouting. So while Sean wasn't scouting, sending me the locations he was looking at, I was at the house of cedar and pine freezing every appendage off uh <laughs> doing the shootout as as titan goes so we had to be you had to, you had to have all these scripts finished um in order to for 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 sean to be able to do the things you know, that was in prep like you, then then you had to go prep it so you had to go scout it and then you yeah. went back to prep it so it, it was quite quite a time it was uh but it, it was worth it. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because in it, you know in in regular TV world, I'm finding that doesn't necessarily always work out this way. And I, I sort of like fondly talk about like, oh man, I you know there was one point I think we were talking in season two where we were shooting episode three, but we were scouting locations for the finale. And I tell yeah. it to other TV production people, it just blows their minds that you could be that far ahead, but that's just what we had to do. Right. Wow. God, that makes me feel tired even hearing all that. But I mean, it, lo- <laughs> it looks, it looks amazing. Is there any, I mean, in particular, Ethan's apartment um, and the restaurant scene, can you tell, is there anything you can yeah. tell us a little bit about the locations that y'all filled in? And obviously we gushed for three hours about that masquerade ball, um, but they just, yeah. it looks amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the, the restaurant, um, was right there in the center of Prague. It's literally across the street from like a giant mall, which is funny. Mm. Um, you know, there's all these tourists constantly like, you know, uh, moving across, but that, I, yeah, I mean, that was the one thing that, um, you know, in, in rewatching it yesterday, just the detail of the restaurant and the church and the lighting mm-hmm. and the streets, which we dress. Um, it, it just really took me aback. Like we had some really goddamn good production value on the show. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, there oh, yeah. beautiful I mean, places. And, well, also yeah. when, when you walk into that restaurant in real life during the day, you'd almost never know it was the same place. Um, and you know, that's the credit of our DP Boris, um, who he won the, uh, the ASC award for this. He won many awards for this episode. Uh, uh, so uh, it's a it's a credit to um, just how good a crew we had. What kind of restaurant is it normally? Um, uh, it was um, I mean it's, it's a Czech restaurant, so it's like you know chicken and duck and steak and no vegetables. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, people kept you know and people kept saying it's like oh it's not a very it's just like a very touristy like it looks pretty but the food wasn't great or whatever but. Um, yeah, it was, um, but yeah, it, 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 yeah, Boris just makes things glow. It's like his, you know, the, 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 the light bringer, um, nickname is, uh, is, is aptly played. I mean, he doesn't bring that much light. He mostly turns them off. Yeah. Well, 
<laughs> that's why the light pops so much because like there's actually sun. right right, um, <laughs> right they're like, look there's a light over there yeah <laughs> right now he's currently the dp on, on titans the dc show and if you follow him on instagram which i recommend because he's playing um he a lot of it looks like both monkeys and you're just like oh glory days which show is that because i'm not sure we caught that titans uh the dc show about um robin and uh uh, beast boy and the you know teen titans basically is what yeah 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 i mean but in all different ways right that closing shot with the light coming through the stained glass in the church is just you know anytime you're sitting there as a viewer and you know, it's such a huge moment, but you're focused on the light coming through the window. Um, tells you <laughs> something about the cinematography. Tell us about casting James Callis and Claire Cooper. If you want to start with whoever you want to start with first, because the casting for this episode, it seems like it was really, really important to get that right because we have to love these two people within 40 something minutes. Yeah. Well, I always thought uh, the, the, the yeah. I wanted Callis to play. Uh, Ethan, although we weren't sure that was his name at the time from the minute we were greenlit for season two, I was like, I want this guy. Um, and Sean was like, Oh yeah, he'd be great. We actually sat down with him before we rolled even a single frame of, 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 uh, season three. And I was like, look, you're the guy. This, this won't even happen for six months. But uh, I want you to play this part. And he went and he binged the whole show and became a fan. Um, and uh, he was there was never even a consideration of anyone else for the role. Um, and even as you know, even yesterday, I, I still work with James Callis. He has this big arc on MacGyver. In fact, he was going to come on his podcast, but he just has too many lines to memorize. He's got a big giant bottle episode that he's doing for me right now. So I just couldn't dare to ask him to take uh, the time away. But that was James. And then, you know, as far as, you know, I'll I'll let Sean talk about the process about finding Eliza because that was, that was very tricky to, we looked long and hard. And then there's an irony there, which we'll talk about in a sec, but. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I mean, we, you know, we talked about her and, and, you know, the thing is, is that we wanted her, um, you know, I, I think the interesting thing is that it's not an easy romance. Like she really hates him at the beginning. And I think the best sort of love stories often start with like that sort of like tension and, and um, you know, things, things shouldn't come easy. So we needed a character that was really going to, you know, hold their own against him. And we wrote her as this, being this very strong person. So we needed someone who could you know, convey all those things, strength, vulnerability, charm, wit, you know, and that's, you know, a lot, you know, we saw a lot of, um, cause we were casting everybody out of the UK and, uh, I, you know, I think Claire's tape just hands out to God, she's great. I mean, it was just sort of like, um, it, it was just like, yep, that's the best one. Hands down. Out of quite a long list. I mean, initially, um, we, we really wanted to find uh, a more diverse um, actress to play this. Um, but ultimately, it just came down to the best read, and it was Claire. Now, the the big irony 
um, is that Claire and uh, James have played husband and wife before um, and already knew each other and were good friends. They were in a, a biblical, I guess, film. You guys are going to have to Google it and find out yeah, it might have been like uh, where they were husband and wife already. Like yeah. And so they had already had this chemistry um, on completely unbeknownst to us. So it was great. So they, they were very comfortable and already had a great back and forth. And I mean, I think they, they've worked together like three times now, um, just completely coincidental. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, they have great chemistry. Yeah. Um, so when you guys were breaking, <laughs> one of the things that's so great when you rewatch this episode, I mean, obviously it, it, it's on the one hand, a huge culminate, like it's a huge mythology kind of culmination of the story that you've been telling and kind of setting up this epic, uh, what we think is sort of the battle for Ethan's soul, which is sort of culmination of season three. But when you go back and rewatch it, it is previewing a lot of those sort of Cassie's red forest dilemma. I mean, there are a lot of parallels, um, between sort of this tragic romance between Ethan and Eliza, as well as with Cassie and Cole. So when you're putting this episode together, what were sort of your goals of like, what what do we have to nail and what do we want the audience to sort of take home from this episode? I, I mean, I, if I could take it back even further, like I, I think we first started talking about this um, right after we wrapped season two and we didn't know if there'd be a season three. And we were at a point where we were like, either there's going to be a season three and a season four or no other seasons. And I remember Terry and I having lunch before we knew we were going to be picked up and talking about like, if we get picked up, you know, what would we do? And we're like, at a point, we're going to tell the witnesses story and we're just going to devote this care, you know, this episode, this character we've never seen before. And we're actually going to understand his point of view and he'll be the total opposite of like an arch villain is kind of how he'd been sort of presented, you know, before and will actually sympathize with this guy. And it was, I, I remember us sitting there having lunch talking about that and talking about um, Olivia actually being the witness. So those were the, the sort of the two things that like, you know, it, it's, it's those conversations you're like, wouldn't it be great? But in the back of your mind, like, oh, we're probably going to be canceled. Um, so it was uh, it, it was fun, but it was also like we could just be like, you know, talk out of our ass and this could all end up in a comic book and not actually be filmed. Um, but yeah. yeah, so so that was that was, you know, it was it was like the greatest thing ever is to be able to get the to finish this. And then when we started uh, breaking season three, when we were official, um, I remember I, I remember very distinctly. I was walking into my office and, and we'd, we, we'd assigned like the first few scripts and uh, Terry was writing one, I was writing two and, and we hadn't really gotten into the tail end of the season yet. And I remember he turned to me and he's like, you want to do the, the witness one, right? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I want to do that one. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of, we kind of knew we were going to do this before we even started. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, I think I said it even as early, like the Paley Fest, um, if you watch, I think you can, you can watch that online. Mm -hmm. I forget, we hadn't started the room yet, but I talk about this episode um, on the panel, so, you know, um, it was just, it was 
kind of obvious to us that's what you had i mean you know going even further back i think that again the second you say the witness is their son you know it you start to ask the real questions which is what what do you want to see you know there's totally a version of this show which is about parents trying to either kill their son or turn their son um and so you you have to decide you know you owe that story um and and so where do you you know where do you want to take how dark do you want to go how you know because i think for some people um and again i think sean and i when we started the room some people were just like ethan should just be the witness and that's it for the rest of the series is you know we we should just be going up against him and I just felt like that you that's a great misdirect and it's okay for even Ethan to believe that he's going to grow up to become this thing. But I don't know if it's that satisfying. If it's like, what's the last episode? I mean, I'm sure some brilliant writer could come up with it, but I didn't know or see an obvious answer for, you know, the end that's not just uh, a straight up Anakin Skywalker story. Either you turn him, or you kill him and the show needed to live in the world of, I think, you know, killing the witness eventually. Um, and it just didn't, you know, as a father, I just didn't, that wasn't my kind of show. I'm sure somebody would can, will, will, would make that um, probably dark would, would go there. Um, the German show. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I had that in me, you know? And so, and Sean, I mean, if you remember when we walked in, day one in that room and we, we were like we think it's olivia it was pretty much you and i versus the entire room on that i don't know anyone else who was on board with olivia yeah 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 it was that was i mean and, and i think even on the the studio side too i mean i don't yeah they were like, like what they're like no they're like we and and it was sort of mind-blowing because allison was so good and so commanding and and, and you know that like how could you not see the potential in this character and this and this actor um but you know but we they you know everybody turned around so it's fine but but uh, yeah because because the good news was we had we were looking at a canvas of 20 episodes to earn it right so if you do this right and you plan it now by the time you get there you instead of going what you'll go of course so and that all began with, okay, so if that's the case, we've got to really get to know this person and we got to take her through a journey as well. Uh, and, uh, so we will bring her in. We will lock her up like Hannibal Lecter. We will break her down. Even she doesn't know the truth. This is all the things we knew we had to do right at second one of season three. Um, and then bring both these characters. I mean, that, that's one of my favorite things about you know the next episode is that moment where Ethan's like, it was never me. It was you. And even in the look on her face and her trying to understand this thing that she's come to, to, to hate, uh, was her. I don't know. It's, it was just a very interesting time travel story that I had never seen before. And yeah, you and I were, I think that was it. It was you and I was a group of like eight people, I, you know what? I still have the. Uh, I gotta find the writers. And, and that's not. We're not gloating. 
Well, maybe a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, I'm bloating. But um, it, it it was it was it was you know it was it was pretty bold. I think. Yeah, and very. You know, I mean, I think the fact that it didn't go down that. I mean, there's. That's not to say that there aren't a lot of dark themes that this show and complicated themes that this show explores, but. I think it, it was bold, which is why it stands out right now, sort of in this kind of dark landscape on on TV. Um, there's there's some great moments in this episode, just since we can cover them really quickly, just because you brought up Olivia, where she's staring at the drawing and it's her standing before, right? It's, it's that shot that we're going to see of her standing before the faithful in the season finale, um, or she's holding a picture of the witness mask um, that just makes us like, throw our remotes and be like they were so good <laughs> but you guys planted when you rewatch this there are a lot of hints in this episode yeah um if we one of the things if we could just jump because i know we have just about an hour um just some sort of key scenes um that opening montage set to iggy pops the passenger with james callis it, it's a really elegant way to kind of communicate to us very quickly this almost kind of um it, it almost reminds me of what you would see like in um, a vampire story, you know, someone who's detached because they right, yeah. obviously he doesn't live it's forever. Very, but, um, but, it's very interview with the vampire. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, it, did you guys, how did you start? Because it's, it's such a great montage. It tells us so much so quickly. It's, it's witty. Um, and you've got all these just fantastic juxtapositions of, you know, the iPod or listening to an iPod while watching the Blitz. <laughs> it's just it's yeah. like it kind of melts your brain a little bit. It was just, uh, you know, I think we had we had dealt with time travel in such a, um, it's it's been such a, it's been so burdensome for our characters. You know, it's like they're going back and they're every time they go back in time, something awful happens. And it was just like, who's the guy that's like not, who's, although he's the center of the mythology, who's at, through his life detached from it, and who's just going through time, kind of having fun and seeing things and witnessing things. And that was like, it, um, I mean, I, that was the great thing about our show. And I really miss about, um, that I think was very unique to 12 Monkeys is that you could do, you could blaze through an entire character's life in a teaser and yet it still feels like satisfying and it's in the language and you, you get it. Like we did that many times with different characters. We did it with Cole and Cassie in season two, like a whole year of their life in a teaser. And those are my most, uh, those are the parts of the show I love the most because we're telling so much story so quickly and you just don't get to do that. Like I've, 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 you know, talked about other projects that, you know, it's like, you know, like, oh, well, we're going to blaze through three years in the first half of the episode. And they're like, we can't do that. I'm like, yes, you can. Um, but it's just, yeah, it, it, it's just so much fun to have that freedom. And and, and the voice of the show is so unique um, that you get to do those things. And it never felt like a cheat or you never felt like you weren't getting the story. You feel like you're exactly getting the story. And at the t- same time. It, it, it makes you want a whole lot more, you know, obviously mm-hmm. in the case of if we had 13 episodes, that would have probably been an entire episode. Who wouldn't want to see this sort of, you know, lovable James Bond through time, you know, just enjoying life. And it, it was kind of, 
they, and to this day, you know, people are like, that would make a great series. And, you know, I would drop everything to do that show if we could. Um, and um, it, it, it was, yeah, I, again, we only had, we didn't have time. I think like the restaurants, that restaurant, right? Right, Sean? It's like, yeah, uh, we're just, we, we only, that, that, in fact, I think the apartment during what wasn't the blitz. It was something else is, is a redress of suite 607. Um, oh, it's yeah, all like, yeah, we, you know, let's, it's all, all the gorilla filmmaking we had to just, you know, the rooftop is literally the rooftop for, um, the temporal facility with just a redress of the railing for where he goes to look at nine 11, which was very controversial. I'll say yeah. for some, some, um, some of our, um, post-production people really were like that we should not be doing that. And, yeah. and um, but then weirdly it didn't, yeah, there are, uh, you know, my, my editor, you know, Drew, who is, uh, who's actually works with me on MacGyver right now, which is a, this amazing pleasure to have, uh, some of the old, uh, any, anybody from 12 monkeys, but, but Drew and I had, had a pretty great partnership. Um, and it's funny when, <clears throat> when we try and temp some 12 monkeys music on MacGyver, we just look at each other. We're like, no, 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 we can't do this. It just feels so wrong. Um, <laughs> But uh, the uh, um, but you know there and, and, and rightly so you know the image of the twin towers on on fire is uh, stirring it's it, it it's painful um, and so I think they were just like yeah you know I don't think you need to do this um, and I was I was a bit worried but I felt like but that's the point. Like these are the things, you know, that was a moment in which the world was changed forever to this day. We can sit here and talk about Trump policy and go back to nine 11 if we want to. Um, and so why wouldn't he be there for that? Uh, and so, but then when, you know, so we were like, all right, well, we'll let the studio on the network um, be the, the test on this. Um, they were, they didn't, nobody said anything. So we ended up airing it. And then we kind of held on and waited for someone to be upset when we aired it. Nobody did. So we were all right. So, but it, it was the right thing for them to, to flag. Um, and then I think some of the writers as well, right? Sean, it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, uh, it was, you know, and I, I think, I think, yeah, it was just, it, you don't want it to be, you know, gratuitous and stuff like that. And, and but you know, there's, there's so much, humanity in James and you just in that moment you know every you just the look on his face you're like yeah this is this is horrible but he he went and witnessed everything like he was an equal opportunity sort of observer and I think that's what lent itself to the detachment is that like of all the beauty he saw all the ugliness too and I think that was very important for his character um, so it, it, it made, you know, it made total sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, and, and it's like I said, we didn't, you know, we didn't show any disrespect to that moment. I think quite the opposite. I think through his eyes, we see the horror, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you also, at least when I'm watching it, he's looking at it and it tells you something about the character that he's moved by it. 
um, but also someone who has gone around and witnessed events like that throughout human history is going to have a different perspective about something that because it was in our lifetime has such an impact, if that makes sense. So sure. it, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I like mean, maybe a red forest is a good idea. Right. Right. Um, you know, and what, so just turning to Ethan and sort of the journey he goes on in this episode, what strikes me as, the biggest tragedy about it, um, which fits into sort of the the bigger themes of the show heading toward, you know, the moment we're going to be with Cassie on the balcony, um, is that he he has this detached experience or this detached like outlook on life because he's been able to jump from time to time to time. When he is stuck in the now because the, the splinter suit breaks, that is when he connects with another human being. But the loss of that human connection is what is going to drive him to almost choose to become the witness. And it is, I mean, it's tragic, but it's also, it's just so, like, it makes me want to shake my best at, like, how good <laughs> that is, right? Because you're like, oh, you want him to connect with someone, and then he does. And then that's what drives him to almost want to embrace this quote-unquote destiny. So I didn't know if you guys had any thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, it's very intuitive. You sound like a writer in the in the writers' room. Um, <laughs> I think I think you missed the calling. Um, the uh, it, it, it's I mean, sure, it's 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 exactly it's exactly all that. You know, I, to kind of answer your, your question is, I always I always wondered as a Star Wars fan, what's another way to do that Anakin Skywalker story? Because that, at, at its core, it's a great idea, right? I mean, it's a love story um, that turns him to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, early on, um, knowing that it, 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 since Cole and Cassie were, in fact, a love story, that it would have to you know, from, from star-crossed lovers from different times. And it would make sense then that that was the story of Ethan, Ethan's origin to becoming the witness. You know, and the fact it was very much Cole, uh, you know, no matter how many times I try, I have to watch you die from season one, is, is the reason you've got Ethan, you know, watching her die 607 times or whatever it is. So um, those are those those are the, the, the things. So in, yeah, in a lot of ways, it was you know if if you had to slow down, you know, and and, and you met this, you met Colton meets his Cassie, Nathan meets his Eliza. That would be the reason to set it all aside. Um, you know what I mean? Or am I just rambling? Yeah. I no. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sean, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, it, it was it was weird because, like, we, you know, like, we lived and breathed this story. It was hard to think about anything else while we were in, in the midst of it. And um, I think very early on in season three, when I knew I was going to write nine, I was sick. And I had, uh, like, a fever dream. And in this fever dream, I saw Ethan chasing this woman who had stolen something from him. So I wake out of this uh, fever dream and I literally start typing into my phone, which I still have. And it's like, Ethan's following a woman she's stolen from him. And it was, 
I think at the time I was, it was going to trigger some memory he had of being a boy and I was going to, we were going to show him with the guardians and like tie in the Druze amulets that the guardians wore that, you know, that, that we've seen move through time with the, with the 12 monkey symbol on it. And, um, although we didn't go that, you know, far into it, just this idea that like, that he was in love with this thief and that time is a thief and time isn't fair. Like, he tries 607 times and it doesn't work. I mean, clearly time's like cheating. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. just the idea that at, at what point do you, do you get a, uh, can you be in the point of view of a person who's like, I'm going to destroy it all because there's, there's, there's no fairness in this. And the one thing in my life is, is that it, that is most important is connection with love and time is literally robbing me of happiness. Not just circumstantially, because I've circumvented the circumstance 607 times, yet it's apparently out for me. So how could it? How could someone want to destroy time? And we're like, well, what's the context for that? It's like, well, time, time's shitty, and time's working against you, and time doesn't want you to have this. Um, and I think those were, I think, you know, that and, and all the other themes of our show. I mean, this, you know, these episodes work because of everything that comes before it, you know? And it's like, like, I, I remember watching, like, oh, I wish I could show someone to this and, and they would understand the context without seeing the rest of the story. And it's impossible because it all works because it's based on things that we've seeded thematically from the beginning. What is the correlation between room 607 and trying to save Eliza 607 times? Um, well, six that is the correlation. Six or seven is primary. So a lot of the numbers that appear in the show are primary numbers, and um, and that 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 there's parallels and connections in this world, and that these things weren't random. All these things were created as a is a, a spiraling byproduct of the gin, right? So that you you have all these these um these things that keep popping up and and um again and again and it's kind of you know it's it's just part of eating our world was you know connected in some sort of way that's it's not a very deep answer but i'm i'm struggling to find a better one well and you know one um listener question that goes to that that we that we had um that, i mean that we got in advance of you guys coming on is that that in some ways, and I don't know if you guys would agree sort of in thinking about it this way, in some ways, this episode is almost like the mirror image of, of Lullaby in that Lullaby, it's, it's, uh, you got to save, it's like a puzzle of how do you save a life? And you try and try and try again until you figure it out. And this one is almost the reverse for Ethan. No matter what he does, he can't save her. She still dies on the same day. And is there sort of like a mythology reason behind that as to why it like does time need her to die sort of the same way that we needed um Hannah to be saved? Is that or am I thinking about that sort of the wrong way? No, I mean that was the idea was that he should have found a way, but he just couldn't. Um inconceivably. I mean whether or not that's just fate or just the you know how fragile human life is could not he could not find a way to save her condition so if that taking it one step further if that is times 
Machiavellian way of, of, of making all these cogs, you know, uh, spin to its ultimate conclusion of erasing coal, um, then the answer is yes. But it's so infinitely complicated. I don't even know if it's worth us. Like, there's yeah, it, there's I, there's no dry erase board for people to you know lay out the timeline um, and say, oh, this is perfect. Because again, you know, I've said it before in other podcasts: is there are loops, right? This whole thing was, in fact, a loop. But on that loop, there were other loops. That was a shifting loop. So, for instance, I mean, they managed to uh, make a change with Agent Gale, managed to make a change and postpone the plague. But the 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 main loop, the 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 the, the stream of time continued in that direction until um, it was undone in the finale, in which it was undone, and they are not in the red forest. Got it. I want to make sure. It harkens back, though, actually, on a larger scale, though, to what Olivia was saying to Deacon. Like, some parts are interchangeable, and yet, obviously, some parts are not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On a larger scale. I think the, like, the the lullaby thing, I think, which was different there. And And I saw somewhere someone asking this question is, like, why didn't, um, time want to die and I don't think it was it's a matter of like time being a conscious entity that decides who lives and who dies I think because he was the djinn he was he was a thing time couldn't rectify like time had sort of no control over him so like he's not going to die he has to exist because it's that loop and that loop can't break you know what I mean so it's like time's not making any sort of decisions it's like you know, it's like trying to hit enter on something and, and that enter button doesn't work. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's not doing anything. He can't die. Hannah has to live eventually so he can exist because. Oh, uh, that fa- you're talking about that Facebook post that I got into. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that, that was a bit, fr- there was a bit frustrating. You know, every once in a while, and I don't know, this wasn't necessarily that fan's intention, but like it, they, these questions appear as almost gotcha, gotcha points and there wasn't a single point about this show that we did and I and I mean this because this this took hours and hours of frustrating time out of our lives in which we didn't ask all these questions you know and ultimately um, you, you, you there is a sort of you know who who can who can truly understand God's will you know, and it's and this is not a religious show, and that nor is, is God involved in it. But time is so infinitely complicated, and this loop is so infinitely complicated that that's why it needed a a, a very clean ending, which was we need the reset switch was what you needed, but it needed to remove this this virus code, this demon code from from the timeline being coal. Um, so there's no you know what I mean? There's no like, oh, well, then the time should just not want to then Hannah to be born. I mean, to Hannah to be saved, and then that would have fixed everything. Or they should just kill Cassie when she's 13, and then she never have Ethan. Therefore, blah blah blah. It doesn't. It, that's too linear an idea. It's introduced to the system, so some other way, some other version of this will always still play out. That will make that moment undone. Remember, Cassie was killed in season one. Um, 
and time made it so that Cole could go back and save her. So that was like a mini loop on the bigger loop. Yeah. And you know, one thing that's that interesting. Sense. Yeah, it does. And uh-huh. one of the things that's interesting that sort of goes to that <laughs> is Eliza in this episode is giving voice to this idea of you guys, you're screwing with something that you shouldn't be screwing with. You know, she calls it ungodly. Um, right. and, and you can understand why someone living in, you know, 1891 would, would think about it that way, but, but it's getting at this idea of whether it's unnatural or, you know, it's messing with the natural order. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's the same episode where Jennifer's holding up the, the picture of like the code and saying like, it'd be nice if it was in English. And when you go back and rewatch it, you know, it's like you're, Eliza's kind of giving voice to the, the bigger problem. Um, which I don't know if we have yeah. really had a character kind of call out being like, you know, who gives you the right to do this? Like, what are the consequences of that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think yeah. that, was, that was largely Jones's, you know, arc early on. It's like she was sort of defying everything in terms of like, should we do? But it's obviously in an apocalypse. It's understandable why you'd, you'd want to. But I think it's always, you know you know, one of the inherent themes in here is like, you know, well, should we be doing this? Should we just let, you know, things be as they are? Um, but it was, it was definitely fun to get to do a character who came from, you know, so, so far removed that they could see this thing as like, like pure Jules Verne fantasy. Like, you know, this is madness and you must stop it. You know, <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was fun. So I want to make sure we had time just to talk about, um, you know, one of the great, I, I think, I don't know if irony is sort of the right word, all season, we've had this sort of, a big theme has been nature versus nurture. And you've got Cole and Cassie thinking that they didn't have, you know, influence on their son, trying to find him. And then they find out in this episode that their son came to them each at, in different ways, real low points. Um, it's real hard to be reminded of, of Scav Cole, who's killing people um, for like, you know, a bag of stuff. Um, for Cassie, the day that she lost a patient for the first time. And you realize along with them that they did have these two key, I guess you could frame it, nurture moments where they said things that ultimately, for better or for worse, ended up being really important to their son's journey. Um, and lines like, if I ever had anything like that for even a minute, I give up a lifetime of anything else, as we hear sort of the notes of the casserole theme, and you're like, oh, man. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to have t- uh, make sure we had time for you guys to kind of break down those two key scenes, because it's you know connecting Ethan back with his parents, and that's setting up sort of the big the big face off in the next episode. Um, I'm, yeah. I mean, cause I think, you know, we wanted to show that nothing about Ethan was, was arched, like nothing. He didn't, he wasn't evil. In fact, like you get every moment you you're on his side and you're in his POV and you understand everything. And when he goes to Cassie and Cole, it's like, those are just very human reactions to things that are going on. And he's not judging them and he's not, um, he's not looking for excuses. He's just there to seeing the reality of their situations. And I, I, yeah, I mean, that was, it was nice to have very organic reasons for him arriving where he arrived. Um, 
And that was so like that was you know the the great thing of of you know starting this character who's very charming and then has all these you know has this 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 dark series of of failures and then like meeting his mom and dad that he doesn't know and going to them and then just in their in their way in these moments their lives have have defined his you know I got to destroy the world now because I get it it's it's you know it's shit it's unfair time is a thief and um you know those were the, those were the the those were really um i don't know how to describe the scenes but the the great thing about them is that like very early on we knew that this um episode was going to be a lot of Ethan and which was and i remember it being very hard because like I wanted to be just Ethan and it's like, but you know, we have to incorporate the leads of our show and this is the penultimate, we're building the finale. And so as little as Cole and Cassie are in this episode, they needed to have these big moments, even if it was just in a scene and even if they didn't even know it was a big moment for them. And so those were really fun to do and they both did a great job and you know, like the, on the rewatch, it's they're heartbreaking to see, um, and that was, you know, that was that was fun. Yeah, well, I mean that, and and um, it's in service of quite a few other, you know, it, well, one you wanted to because Ethan and Cole in the next episode we're going to spend so much time together. You wanted it not to be the first time they shared any kind of screen time together, and then the second one was it really is in service of where we were going to take Cassie and where we have been taking Cassie, which was this darker, darker thing, which was, you know, I remember I was like, what if it was, and she starts the red, what if it was, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, right, right, right. Um, it, what it was that, uh, what if it was Cassie's idea, you know, um, she gave him the idea. She gave him permission inadvertently in that scene to go there. You know, I just wish I could make it all fucking stop. Um, and uh, that's in that, and, and 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 at that time, we were also um, laying the ground for the release of the plague, which at, at the end of the of the finale was something that Ethan told Cassie he knew was true. Um, and we shot it and we cut it because it just it made season four very problematic for Cassie to have that going on in the back of her head. Because Cole had, Cole had uh, his knowing his mother was a part of this in the back of his head, and Cassie had this like I'm going to release the plague in the back, and everybody was just keeping too many secrets, and you wanted to punch them all. Um, so, uh, so we took it out. Um, but it was, you know, it, it it was all in service of this this 20 episode uh, movie that we were, you know, grinding towards uh, the end of. Yeah, it's a really, um, I mean, not only sort of the, the whole idea that, you know, now Cassie's talking to her son, um, like she was talking to her mother earlier in the season, right? All the layers to not knowing what that person means to you, but it is really, um, disturbing <laughs> when you go back and watch it and whether you whatever you think she did at the end of the show it's still setting up that choice right and and there's something in Amanda Schul's performance that is you know it's like season one Cassie and she's the cute doctor right and it's like she's all fresh and clean like she was back in season one but there's this anger 
and seething at how unfair it is, right? That when you watch it again with sort of that, you know, knowing where she's going to end up, it's just so good. Um, but really? it gives you a lot yeah. to think about. That's the person who's going to start the Red Forest. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Sean, like that's, Sean's hero, that's Sean's hero, an entitled asshole yeah. who destroys the world for herself. What a great story. Love that one. Ooh, roll credits. I feel like we've seen that story a few times this year. Right. <laughs> Um, so I, I want to make sure we make some time for Jennifer um, before we go, because um, I know we're running out of time. So um, Jennifer, in this episode, there's some really painful scenes of watching sort of how low she is. And I love how she's connected to Ethan with sort of the editing back and forth with the visions. But we have this we have sort of like her scenes with Jones and Deacon where she's at a real low point. Um, there's a line that really kind of hits you in the stomach. You have no idea what it's like for me in here, um, meaning like her head. Um, and then kind of going through that, it's like chicken and egg, all the Jennifer's like assemble um, to help figure out how she's going to get out of there. Um, so sort of where, you know, this is Jennifer's kind of, She's actually going to harness her crazy and use it to get out of this situation. Um, so I didn't know if you guys had any thoughts sort of about where this kind of falls as the turning point sort of in Jennifer's arc. Ooh. Well, I think, I mean, again, it, it's in service of um, the, the bigger arc, which was going to be, we knew that she was going to save the dying man that we had this mystery, which for me, I don't know how you don't know the dying man is Ethan. I think like if you're not really watching this and you don't see Ethan, I don't know you. I don't know. I, I it, but the um, I guess you could think it's Cole. I don't know. Um, you know, but I, the, in, but yeah. I will say in in, in watching it, and because I was having that exact same thought, and of course we had that thought all season. Like, how do you not know this is the guy? But I think like going into it and making assumptions that the witness is this awful dude that even though you're you're getting to know him and you like him i don't think saving the witness is an idea that i mean even if you're in cole and cassie's point of view it still seems like a shit job you know what i mean like it doesn't it doesn't seem like the solution anything like so i i, I don't know that yeah. was the thought i had when watching it was like oh i could see how those things aren't necessarily as connected as we once thought they were yeah, I guess I guess so. So, but it was it was to set up this big moment for her to go to to be there, you know, for Ethan, um, which I, is still one of my favorite moments of the series. Is that moment uh, where they're trapped in Titan and Olivia stabbed Jones, and suddenly you cut to Ethan and he comes back and mows down everybody. It's still I want to do. Uh, Top 10 list of my favorite moments in 12 Monkeys, I think. That might be the top. I'm not sure. Um, when the puzzle comes together. I love the feeling of a puzzle coming together um, in, a, in a way that's uh, surprising but satisfying. Um, so, that, I, you know, it's all in service of, of that, you know. I, and, um, and that we always kind of start Jennifer at the beginning of every season on her own sort of journey. And we come back. Um, it's sort of like the tradition, um, uh, the, the, you know, just like Lasky dying. Oh, by the way, there's a character in, in MacGyver named Lasky, 
who who is who is has an unfortunate fate. And the irony is, he's <laughs> not played, long for this world. He's played he's played by Ram, Ramon, uh, who played Oliver Peters. Um, and, oh, uh, no. <laughs> m- my long my longtime assistant wrote the episode, and. I, I didn't know that I, I said hide it hide a 12 monkeys reference in there but I'm not gonna look you just put the pages out and then I'll see it in the cut and um there's a a, mo- a moment where uh his I mean the character's name is Lasky I thought that was enough but he's calling out orders to a bunch of people and he goes Oliver Peters I need you to blah 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 and I started <laughs> drew and I left. MacGyver is chock full of 12 monkey references to the point that you're just like, it's almost eye rolling. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. No, we love this. There's a, there's a a moment where James Callis who plays this, like it was, it was fun to, to just uh, write a popcorn villain with him now. Cause I just forgot how deliciously evil he can be. Um, but there's this moment where he's like, well, we couldn't let them live. They're a witness. And then we all just, like, giggle. <laughs> <laughs> he's a witness. Uh, anyway, this is not answering your question. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, Jennifer. Jennifer does her thing. You know, she cries, I mean, cries a lot, and then she's really smart. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, she, she, has these, she always has these really complex problems. It always comes up with a very low tech solution, like banging yeah. her head against the or using Xerox machine, or it's always like, you know, oh, I just did this and it worked out, you know. Right. Yeah, but it's really interesting to watch. Um, you know, lots of people love Deacon and Jennifer and whatever. You know, it, I'm not saying anything. They're just really good friends. But it's you know Deacon was like so angry oh, they're and so on board with they 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 really believe that Deacon and Jennifer were banging it out in in some room at the facility somewhere in seasons three and four. No, we just said we would read the fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't say it was canon. <laughs> we would read the fanfic. Do it. Have people like? Would you? Why would you want to read that? What makes you think? <laughs> That's, I mean, do you think that's, that's, I mean, that's. We have read it. I've read it and it was good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you something. The the way that Jennifer, um, the depraved way in which that would go down is not something you'd want to (laughs) read. All I'll say is we haven't seen Jones's dog in a long time. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. Please, nobody write this. <laughs> Somebody will. That's a great. That's a I'll, I'll, you know I'm going to write the official, <laughs> the official canon version of how that went down. How Deacon got a whole bunch of scars we don't want to know about. <laughs> You're going to have to. Well, we'll need a hint as to how to find it. <laughs> but that would be great. Um, all right, so. It is, it all kidding aside, um, Deacon is really struggling this episode with, you know, he kind of broke his promise. He said, no one's going to lock you up. Now she's locked up. And 
you know, at first she's not doing well and then she's kind of playing it um, to get her way out of there. But you really see Deacon kind of struggling and eventually he like stands up to Jones is like, we're, I'm not, I've already killed her once. We're not doing this. And then you have him say sort of, I'm sorry as she's leaving. And then you have this great, uh, you know, where she winks at him. And it hit me that the next time, is it that the next time they see each other is an after when he winks back? Is that right? They're not actually in the same room again yeah. together. Uh, that mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. So that was, but that was all we knew what we were doing. <laughs> it's 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 a pretty <laughs> great moment, but it kind of reminds us, you know, Deacon was a little scary the last episode. Um, so it's kind of a great, you know, we love the Deacon and Jennifer friendship. So, um, it's kind of a great moment, and it, it makes you realize is we don't have a ton of moments with them together leading up to sort of like setting up how emotional we're going to be when we see them sort of at the end of the show. Um, so where did that, I don't know if we've ever asked you guys sort of like the kernels of putting these two together as friends. Um, Cause if you had told me back in season one that they were going to be BFFs, I would have been really surprised. Well, it, it all comes from the moment he killed her. I mean, he killed, he accidentally shot her um, and killed her. And then, in then, uh, this is all going back to season two, then goes on this caravan with this, with the younger version of her and is face to face every day um, with this, uh, this, this, this person who he, you know, kind of respects, but is like, I, I'm going to be the one at the end of her life who, and be mad at Ramsey, a straight bullet's going to kill her. So, uh, you know, it, it humbles him over again, you know, if we had the chance to do the show and we knew the story the way we did, that's season two when they're on their way to Titan. That's like half a season, like, you know, telling that story of, of, of Deacon, the humble D I mean, from, the episode 12, uh, 11 of season two to episode 12, you know, Deacon comes, he reports to her. He's res he's respectful. He's beaten down. There's a whole lot that happened from the, from the end of 11 to him being a drunk maniac to this humble servant almost. So that it, it starts there. I mean, I, I think, you know, look, there, there's always, you know, you, you go through every scenario in the writer's room like, oh, well, maybe there is a thing between them. Maybe there isn't. And it just felt kind of just schmaltzy, you know, that that ha that it, it was more interesting, I think, ha them having a relationship that was just, you know, uh, of that was just this weird friendship because they're both oddly preoccupied with other things like Deacon had been preoccupied with you know, with Cassie and that art and Jennifer, um, you know, her own sort of like her, the other iterations of herself, uh, her attachment to Cole, it just didn't like story didn't need them to, they had enough going on. Yeah. It was just not necessarily necessary for them to like, you know, um, yeah. I just never pictured it Jennifer having sex. Yeah, exactly. I don't like, I don't know. I mean, like she has the thing with Cole kind of, but even that kind of is not traditional because of her primariness. It, it, it's, it's, she's just kind of in her, 
our own space. And I think if it were to happen, and then look, by the way, maybe one drunken night there was a hookup. I think it was so weird and so bad that Deacon was like, "Okay, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not, no more. The, I'm not. I can't go to the daughters. I'm not doing that. Um, it's there's not a lot of like you know late nights uh, in the apocalypse. Uh, sure, there's the fan fantasy of how good that is, but I don't. You know, we talked about how much are Cole and Cassie knocking it out, and. And the answer was not a lot. You know, why would you? When the one time you did, you created a, a kid that that has changed the course of time and history and everything. It's uh, it's. I mean, I guess maybe there's a handy here or there, but I don't know. I, I guess it's hard to imagine. <laughs> the stakes are too are too high um, for anybody anybody to be doing that. I think, look, if it was a CW show, sure. There'd be all sorts of, you know, I know there's Jones and Olivia fanfic and we did lay that, some of that down. You know, I think we talked about it when Allison was on that there is the, these tensions and these attractions, but like, I don't know. I, I don't think we were particularly, we're particularly prudish about all that stuff. It just didn't feel like there's a melancholy. The to the show. Yeah. High. Yeah. For you to be, you know, are you guys watching Succession? By the way, if you're not, you all should just be watching that. I I watched the pilot and we're in. It's just I I feel like rich assholes are ruining the world, and so when I get to the end of the day, every time we're like, mm, so are we gonna watch Succession? Are we gonna watch Succession? Yeah, are we gonna watch Agents gotta... of Shield? The answer is Agents of Shield. But I know, I know. Oh, um, Tina, that in the words of the night of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you have chosen poorly. Uh, <laughs> watch Succession. I love that show. Six, Come on, Sean, are you watching it? I, I watched the first one. I thought it was pretty great, and then we got distracted with something else. But literally, like you and like five other people I've talked to recently are like, "That's the best thing on." So we are we're going to start it's, it up again, uh, probably tonight. It's extraordinary. I know, and, and, and I love nothing. Dep- and Mc- depressing, it, right? That's the. That's well, no, no, the no, 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 not because, not because, no, no, not because they're rich and all, all that stuff, and and that's the, you know the one percent destroying the world. It's not that. It's depressing because you will look at yourself as a writer and being like, "What am I doing? I, I, we're done. <laughs> They've done it. We don't need to do anything else." <laughs> With HBO uh, and their fourteen day, like they've got like a fourteen day shoot that they can just perfect these incredible performances and like, you know, scenes that are not two handers, but like 10 handers and are like perfectly executed. I'm just saying guys stop with the 12 monkeys, start your succession <laughs> rewatch podcast. And I will I'll be on all the time. I don't know, man. You, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I saw, I saw Joker the other day and I'm like, what is I, I know what Terry thinks of this. Have you seen it yet? I I, I I haven't seen it. I don't there's nothing about it that I like I, I that that I get you know, sure people love it and I'm, it's done extraordinarily well. But there's nothing about it that makes me go, Oh, I gotta see a story about uh someone who's mentally ill and like I feel like I watched every I knew everything about it by watching the trailer. And 
uh, and then people are like, well, it's a really, it's a really interesting discourse on mental illness. I'm like, oh, okay. So do they diagnose him or does he have, does he have magic filmmaking mental illness where we don't actually talk about what was going on? I, with I, him? I don't know. I mean, I don't I know. You guys I tell me. Call it like a tremendous discourse on uh, mental illness. I actually, uh, it actually made me think a lot about 12 monkeys and actually a lot about like, and things like that, how you could show someone's journey and you get to the end and you're like, oh, I get it. And so, like, that's the one thing that Joker does really well is that, you know, you're thinking about this, like, all right, he's this fucking weird guy and he's got makeup on and he, like, you think of the Joker as it exists in comics, like, and he's got henchmen that are loyal to him. Why would they be loyal to this asshole? And you get to the end of that movie and you're like, oh, I get it. Like, it's just, it does such a good job of, of of taking what you think you know and sort of even the all the overarch elements and then you get to the end and it just oh, it all fits. You know, it's the best Batman origin story, honestly, that they've done. Um, but uh, enough about another thing. But it, it it did make me think of Thief and and, and like you know Ramsey stuff and in in there's a lot of sort of parallels. It's like you go in thinking one thing, you come out and you're like, oh, I actually get it. There's a lot. I mean, I'm glad that you say that because you know, like Beep and I were sitting next to each other watching Avengers Endgame. I'm like, oh, so Tony Stark is Ramsey. He's the one who has to figure out like <laughs> I don't want to sacrifice my kid, right? Or the closing shot of uh, of uh, Peggy and Steve Rogers. I was like, oh, it's Cassie and Cole at the House of Cedar and Pine. They got to redo. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, is, do other people yeah. view it like that? <laughs> but uh, okay, so really quickly, um, we're we're covering the season three finale next. Any like sort of big picture thoughts or things you guys wanted to share about that? It's you know, obviously it's. I can't pick, I can't pick what my favorite season finale is because I feel like it's like a three-way tie. Um, I mean, I guess the series finale is the best, but like, it's a phenomenal, like I, I fist pump at how dramatic so many of those moments are. It's just epic. So do you guys have any thoughts or things you want to share quickly about that? I mean, all I, I know that when I, when we finished, uh, cutting the season finale, uh, the season finale of season three. And we, we looked at it and it was the, you know, the, all the pieces coming together. They're at the house of Cedar and Pine. Uh, she goes and saves Ethan. Ethan comes back to save his parents, but he dies. We reveal, you know, the return of the witnesses finally come on, you know, but you know, one of the witness returns she has like, I, 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 we had to, we had, we were, writing into season four and I was terrified we were not going to beat season three. Uh, I, I was like, season three is such a perfect, you know, look, yeah. And I will, you know, I will toot our, our horn here. Uh, I, I really think, it, but we had to earn it. You know, it was, a, it was a long way to get to that perfect story, but like, it's a story about parents trying to save their child. And at the end, they do, and by doing so, that child comes back and saves them, so that they can go on and fight this longer. This long, it just felt impossible to me for for us to tell a better, more organic, more dramatic, you know, story uh, in season four. Um, and ultimately, I think we were lucky in that we 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 were able to at least be as good 
in season four. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great, I mean, you know, um, nine and 10 thief and in witness are, they're like, again, like the best of them, like one big movie in the same way that, uh, 12 and 13 of season two are, you know, also the same kind of thing. I think you summed it up, you know, sort of perfectly. I mean, you know, that was the, you know, it's just the beauty of breaking this thing as a big, as its own, you know, sort of movie. And, um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, but it, I think, I think we flew back from, uh, Prague after wrapping all the stuff that we shot for season three, I think we got back on like a Sunday and then Monday it was like, okay, season four, there was no time in between. Um, in fact, I think I was doing the first draft of, uh, the season four opener, while we were shooting all this stuff, all the, the Prague stuff in, um, yeah, I did. Yeah. Cause I remember I got sick. And so I had to take a day off of set of, of some of the Ethan and Eliza stuff. And I was at the hotel working on the first draft of the season four opener. And, uh, actually, I think you were on the second draft of it because remember we were having, we couldn't uh, figure out the story. The C- yeah, yeah. There was an originally a um, a loop. A bi- it, what ultimately became the um, the hotel episode. Yeah, the the, uh, the episode in which they uh, Cassie had to keep going back in time, or she only goes back in time once. But there was there was a version of the season four opener in which like we we had to keep going back to stop this Titan invasion. We, we, and, um, it was, yeah, they, they, uh, they, they, yeah, it was like, uh, and so just like episode five in the hotel, it's five, right? Where we yeah. Shaw. Yeah. So that, um, the, uh, you know, Olivia's six, army attacks the facility. Oh, six. Uh, yeah. They, uh, oh, I thought six, isn't six, uh, Nazis. I don't remember. Um, but, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. It's five. It's five. Yeah, they attack the army of twelve monkeys. Attack the facility. They wipe everyone out, but I think maybe Cassie or Cole get they she he or she whoever it was first gets in the machine, goes back like thirty minutes earlier. And it's like they're gonna attack this way. We have to defend now. And they die. Way. They fucking die. And they right? die. Everybody yeah. dies. And then I think the second time, if it, if it's Cassie who gets back in time the first time then cole does it the second time and cole's actually shot and he's dying and he gets in the machine and he goes back and then he tells them how they're gonna fight off the attack and he's dying in front of his his other self who has not died yet that was originally when cole was gonna have the vision of um basically the keys so that thing in five where he's like, I was dead and I saw this was originally going to happen in 401. Um, and then, and then it got, it got pushed off, but um, they eventually end up escaping the, the attack through like these little time loops. It was, it was fun to write, very complicated, but um, it ultimately ended up being a, a simpler story. I mean, we were, we had peak exhaustion in season three. 
um, uh, you know, and then and we're trying to write the single most ambitious time travel story probably ever written in four, you know, in fifty pages. And then I think it, it was just too it, the logic of it required way more than we had, uh, so we just told a very much simpler uh, story, which would came out great. But um, yeah, I mean, if we were doing, if we had a season five or season six we would have definitely have done that story in some way yeah it would have been yeah it would have been kind of like a, a bookend to atari yeah yeah kind of yeah yeah um okay so last question sean you wrote you co-wrote masks and you know that uh-huh. we're geeks you know we're geeks about these literary references is there a story behind uh-huh. the edgar Allan poe um well i think we we talked uh initially but they're going back in time and we wanted there to be um that it was like a time of plague to run a parallel to you know our plague that we had later on so plagues have always been a huge um part of uh you know the mythology and the mask of the red death and stuff like that so um i uh, i i don't know if it originated with maybe tony in in tony's draft um because they didn't i didn't uh, Tony uh, Elliott, who's a great writer, wrote the first version um, of Mass, and then um, and then I sort of did the second version of it, and um, so I think that was. But we we realized the time period we wanted wanted to go to. There weren't plagues. There weren't that that you know that wasn't the reality of it. So, but we wanted to have that reference there, and it was something we debated because we knew we wanted to do like a big ball, like a big costume gallon it's like well the witness and like uh you know the like a masquerade like that sounds awesome but we also worried that is this is gonna be a giant cliche because you know it's like you always go see these period things and people are in those masks and stuff like that and it was it was, a, it was i think we went back and forth a little bit like is it too on the nose or is it just hell let's just do it and it'll be great um and that stuff was beautiful i mean like you know we shot that in, in, in Prague too. So all the, like the 1890s, you know, London stuff was, uh, you know, all in that Czech Republic stuff. So it's like one day you're doing a scene for Max, the next day you're doing a scene from Thief. And it was just wall to wall, amazing costumes and, and, um, you know, the, the, the production value and, and, and the, the crews out there were so good. Yeah. All right. Tell us about your current projects before you head out. Cool. Well, I have a, uh, I have a, I do have a James house, a mini James Houser, which is kind of fun. But um, so right now I work on uh, Mayans MC, which is on effect. Um, and we have uh, um, uh, Edward James almost on the show is one of the regulars. And so in, uh, in season one, um, it was, I think we were shooting like the second episode or something like that. And it was the first time I, I was going to meet Eddie and uh, Eddie comes up and Eddie's like very much talks like this. And he's like, you know, he's an older sort of like, you know, gruff kind of guy. And he's like, Retta, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's, we have mutual friends. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Like, I, you know, did, did some uncle of mine like cross him somewhere or whatever? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, James Dallas. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, I guess James had written to Eddie, um, before, you know, I started Mayans and said, you know, I worked with this guy, Sean on 12 monkeys and 
and he's great and he said really nice things and so uh so james was nice enough to tee up edward james almost for me so uh, i i had an immediate in with with the uh, with him uh through james callus which i appreciated oh through like through battlestar that's so awesome yeah yeah <laughs> Um, and, and Terry, I know you have MacGyver, um, and what's your update on that and, and on anything else you might have brewing? Um, uh, there, so I'm in, uh, negotiation right now for something I may or may not join, but it's pretty gigantic, um, and sci-fi, um, but these, as Sean can tell you, these deals are, they're tricky. Um, so you never know. You never know. While it looks good, I could be starting on something in a week. I could also just be uh, not. Um, but uh, yeah, but then this, my, my current job is uh, MacGyver, which is going really well. It has uh, it, it, a lot of, of monkeys in it. Um, Amanda is doing an episode. Um, Scotty Thompson is uh, is in two episodes, and she actually flashbacks play uh, Max Mom, which is really cool. Um, we've got let's see who else we got. Ramon. We've got a uh, uh, Mark Boyd who was in the pilot of Twelve Monkeys, who played Leland Goins number two. Uh, he moved to Atlanta and he appeared. Uh, and so he was on there. I know I'm forgetting a, a, a whole bunch. James Callis. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and Holly, uh, Holly, uh, who played um, young Olivia is, uh, is, is amazing in, in an episode. We brought her in from Toronto. Um, so we've, you know, been keeping it, uh, keeping it monkey friendly uh, as a way I think of coping about how much I miss the show. It's my, one time at band camp story. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I'm just waiting to see if this other, this other thing, uh, happens. Um, and hopefully we'll know soon. Got it. And last American vampire. Is that, is that going to go forward? That is a, it, uh, they've, uh, they have engaged for even more scripts. Uh, they have engaged for an entire season of scripts. Um, so I think the, that's a, positive step but it um you know still have a show running day job to do on top of it but uh yeah so oh no but quibi is still we're still very much i'm still writing the the back half of the season for that um but yeah so that's all all moving ahead in a in a nice direction got it got it and sean where can people watch mayans it's on fx but if Uh, they want to stream it yeah, mine's uh, it's on FX. It's on the FX app. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, Disney just bought everything, so um, it'll be, you know, I, which I think they own now Hulu too. So we're on Hulu along with uh, with with Twelve Monkeys. But we just uh, we just aired my last episode for this season uh, this past week. So we just have two more, and then uh, and then we're done for uh, for season two. Got it. Okay. Thank you guys again so much for joining us. I'm just over here, like taking it all in. You guys are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's not every day you get to talk to, you know, two people that put together one of your favorite episodes of TV of all time. So thank you guys. So well, much. I mean, Sean, we got to come back for, we got to come back for 406, right? I mean, uh, oh yeah. We've, yeah. <laughs> we've got so many tales of, uh, 
of ma- getting that thing made. Oh my um, god, of Dijaka? Yeah, which you know, it, it, it's it, it's a controversial episode for Sean and I. <laughs> it was uh, it was uh, it was very hard to make. Um, I think I don't. I think to this day, some of the writer, not everybody feels uh, has ha- not everybody feels as strongly as I think Sean and I feel about about it. Um, it was an episode in which we put Cassie in a Nazi. Uh, lingerie outfit as a and um and we were terrified that that might go the wrong way but it was it actually has been um well received so yeah yeah we have lots to say about about that so if, we'll be back if you're looking for if you're looking for a physical manifestation of what the idea of fun is in our brains it's that episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well, that is a place that we like to live because that one is a fan favorite. So you guys promise to come back and talk to us about it. We would love that. Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks to Terry and Sean, who we always enjoy talking to, and we hope we'll be hearing back from them very soon. Our next episode will be 310 Witness, the season three finale, and Megan Ghost Wine will be back for that one. We last heard from her with her tribute to Deacon in Enemy. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you soon.